The Koi Gig Pod has made a new signing. Your goalkeeping coach is your god. Emma Byrne is joining Kathleen and Karen this season. Keep up to date with all the WSL action every Tuesday and subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Now then, you're very welcome back to studio. So, Concussion in Sport, a national conversation. It's a seminar. It's taking place this Saturday, September 24th from 9am to 1pm at UCD Belfield. It's an event that will feature some of the world's foremost authorities on concussion in sport, including our next guest who is here in studio. I was going to call you Dr. Michael Collins, but Mickey is uh, the preferred choice. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you. Uh, You're welcome to Ireland. So, um, as I understand it, you're involved University of Pittsburgh's uh, medical centre. They have a sports medicine concussion programme and you were the clinical and executive director of said programme. Correct. Great. Listen, it's great. It's super to have you uh, with us because as you can imagine, we talk about concussion and sport quite a lot and have done over the last number of years. Right. So uh, to get the ball rolling, uh, it's my understanding from uh, reading various interviews you've given that you're very much of the uh, persuasion that concussion is something that is uh, very treatable and there are great advances in treatment and that extends far beyond go and rest in a quiet dark room yes concussion is a treatable condition um, we've made a lot of advances in terms of we now know there's different types of concussions and we know that active treatments specific treatments treat those specific types of problems that we see with the injury and we do there's no dark rooms uh, in our in our clinic. It's about rehabbing, retraining, rehabituating the systems that are decompensated from the injury. And we're coming, coming up with very effective physical therapies, exercise programs, and it's all about retraining the brain, not resting the brain. What's an example of a, an exercise or a therapy that someone might undergo? I don't want to get too technical, but there's, a, there's one of the types of concussions is a problem to a system in the brain called the vestibular system. And Concussions, this energy crisis to the cells and neurons um, that occurs. And when that energy problem happens, that's one of the systems that can decompensate. And that system allows us to basically interpret motion. It allows us to stabilize our vision. We move our head. It allows us to be in car rides and grocery stores. It allows us to move dynamically and exercise. And there's a part of the brain that interprets all that. And with concussion, that system will literally decompensate and patients will feel this like slow, wavy, dizzy, foggy, tired, headache, nausea. It's a very unpleasant thing to feel. And that system in the brain is also connected to the nervous system. So patients will get a lot of anxiety with it. And then they'll try to avoid certain environments. And they don't want to exercise specifically. They don't want to be social because it, it pulls on that system and causes a lot of disruption. The way we treat that problem is by training it. And, and we can actually identify where that system is breaking down and then create an exercise program to rehab and retrain the brain. We, can, we actually have physical therapy exercises that have been developed to retrain that system. And once we retrain these, that system, for example, the anxiety gets better, the symptoms get better, and the brain recovers, and we can get kids back to the sports they love. And are these therapies quite new? Would they be um, employed widespread across medicine? Where are we on that front? We're, they've been around for a long time, but we've really adapted them for this problem. And yes, um, a lot of the therapies and techniques that we're, we're doing in Pittsburgh, or we're, we're, you know, we're coming to Ireland and, and training clinicians here, uh, some of those rehab principles and, and really better understanding how to diagnose the injury and how to assess it and understanding the different types. There's different treatments for these different problems. It's not just a vestibular problem. There's other types as well. And 
we're coming over here, and, and, and first of all, we've, we've created what's called the UPMC Concussion Network, where we've trained uh, clinicians. We have eight clinicians or so across the country. They've all come to Pittsburgh and trained with us. Uh, and we have like case conferences on the, over the phone and, and, and grand rounds and those sorts of things where we, you know, we really stay in close touch with these clinicians. And those clinicians are seeing patients here in Ireland, and and it's been very successful, and it's really growing, and we're getting really good care to our Irish uh, athletes and and others. This is not a sports only injury, you know, car accidents, slip and falls. There's 1.8 to 3.6 million concussions occurring per year in the United States in sports and recreation alone per year. This is a very common prevalent injury, and it's happening here in Ireland, obviously. Yes. Uh, but the advances are such that we can treat it effectively and get kids back to the sports they love the great, great majority of the time. Mm. And so, Mickey, is your daily life, your daily working life, seeing lots of patients for, uh, who've uh, uh, suffered a concussion for all various types of reasons? That's your yeah, Monday to Friday. Uh, we see about... 20,000 cases a year in Pittsburgh um, and myself I'm very busy I'm in clinic five days a week we also do a lot of research um, I used to be six foot three and buff and I've shrunk a few inches I think uh, but very busy um, it's a very busy program and, yeah. and there's a lot of work that goes into it it's, it's exciting work though okay well we might just go down the route of sport for a few moments then so um, uh, like a point from the off and I, I think instinctively we might sense this from watching different players suffer with concussion and others not different people are more susceptible than others different genders more susceptible than correct. others correct yeah smart yeah so we've now identified this very specific risk factors that predict patients who are going to have a harder time recovering from concussion they take longer um Patients with a history of motion sickness um, are more vulnerable to concussion because of the vestibular system. Concussion fights dirty. Like if you have a history of motion sickness and that energy problem happens in the brain, it's going to affect that system more in a patient with a history of motion sickness and patients that don't. Right. Okay. Patients with a history of lazy eye or strabismus, amblyopia, that is a risk factor for oculomotor concerns. Uh, patients with a history of migraine are more likely to have migraine after concussion. Patients with a history of anxiety that's a big risk factor, actually, and that predicts anxiety following concussion, a lot of mood changes that we can see. Patients with a history of learning disability are more likely to have cognitive issues following concussion. Um, and so it, it takes less force to cause injury in, in those patients. And, and once it happens, we know they go down these certain pathways, and that's why there's different types of injuries, and, and that's why we have to apply different types of treatments. Mm. One thing that's very interesting is that girls are more susceptible to this than boys. Um, uh, uh, you know, the reason why is, is girls are six times more likely to have migraine than, than boys. Girls have more motion sickness proclivity than boys. Girls have weaker necks than boys. Um, that predicts, it, it takes less force for this injury to happen. Thank you. Um, in with girls and the outcomes can be a little longer when you have those, those conditions on board. Is there a, a standard uh, time frame as to how long it takes somebody to get over a quote-unquote standard concussion? And I appreciate there are different types. There are different types, and it's highly variable. Um, but the average recovery time, if you look at all the literature that we've published and others, um, for an adolescent athlete is about 30 days. Now, don't go home and say, oh, sit out 30 days and we'll go back to play. Some kids get better in five days. Some kids take three months to recover. There's a lot of variability. Um, and how do you know if somebody's better? We have very sophisticated tools to assess the injury and quantify it and actually measure it. So there's very good tools that we've developed, 
neurocognitive testing, computerized neurocognitive testing. It's a test on a computer called Impact that we've developed that helps to measure this injury. We've created a physical exam called the VOMS, which stands for Vestibular Ocular Motor Screening. Um, that's a tool that we've developed. Uh, we know what questions to ask. We know what exam to do. We know how to look at this exertionally. So we have a standardized test we run on patients when we clear them. We work them out in certain ways to make sure there's no lingering problems. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of advances and okay. in, in probably a lot, but most of the listenership here probably doesn't isn't aware of those things. Mm-hmm. So take, um, and we might just pick different case studies or examples and you can explain maybe what's going on. Take the athlete, uh, the rugby player, and I've, uh, rugby comes to mind at the moment because there's been a big conversation yeah. there. But I mean, I'm going to ask you about boxing in, in a moment as yeah. well, you know. Yeah. But take the rugby player who's retired and maybe remembers a concussion from 10 years ago and, and maybe thinks, well, did I have subconcussive blows a lot or small dings? And they're finding themselves... Uh, with mood swings or anxiety or, or some of those uh, symptoms. Right. Are they treatable or is that more in the realm of that's somebody who's got CTE or maybe mm. early onset dementia? Are they, where are they on the spectrum? I can tell you that we do a lot of work with patients that have chronic problems from this injury or, or, and, and a lot of these patients can be treated effectively. Um, and there are treatments for those types of patients available and we do see a lot of chronic anxiety in patients that, that go through concussion. There's a lot of biology behind that. But there's also other life factors, you know. They're, when patients become anxious, they'll become more reclusive. They'll become less social. They may exercise less. They may take naps. They may dysregulate their sleep. Um, they sort of retract. And that it worsens the anxiety. Yes. And we're very good at teaching patients behaviorally how to approach life in a far different manner to avoid that. You know, our recommendations, no naps, very strict sleep schedule. We want exercise. If there is a vestibular problem, we can rehab that. And the vestibular system is connected to the nervous system. So once you rehab the vestibular system, the anxiety goes down. And patients with anxiety have chronic migraine. We can treat that by treating the anxiety. Uh, There's very good treatments for anxiety. There's psychotherapy. There's even medications if needed. Um, and a lot of patients that think they're having problems from concussion are really having chronic problems of that. And what's scary to me is there's a lot of misinformation out there about concussion. And, and, and a lot of folks think that there is this, you know, inevitable decline they're going to experience. And it produces massive amounts of anxiety mm-hmm. when the reality is, is that a lot of those patients are fully treatable yes and and cte falls under the bracket of what i've described as being treatable as well that's not some so generative we can't do much about this that's an area that needs more science um we don't know we know that there's pathology in the brains of some some individuals uh with what's called tauopathy so build up a tau protein in the brain what we don't know scientifically is whether concussion or head trauma in and of itself causes that tauopathy. We don't know if other factors play a role in that. We don't know if concussion even plays a single role with that. We don't know if it's a normal neurodegenerative process. There's been patients found that haven't played sports, have not played sports that have those problems. There's a very um, sort of nascent beginning literature looking at that topic. And I can tell you there's a lot of science that call into question some of those findings. There's a lot of science that support those findings. And science takes time, mm. and we need 
we need, we're doing a research project now, a very advanced research project looking at former NFL players, uh, a very large cohort of patients that played in the, played in the NFL, and we're comparing them to match controls that didn't, mm. and we're doing in, incredibly sophisticated measurements of neuro health. We're looking at, at, at imaging, we're looking at blood work, we're looking at yes. neurocognitive functioning, mood, and we're gonna have results seeing what the true prevalence of neurodegeneration is in that population. Yeah. And the jury's out on it because that research hasn't been done. And is there agreement, and again, these questions are too simplistic, I know, but is there any kind of a broad agreement on, say, take the um, sports person who had one or two or three severe concussions across their 15 year career hmm. versus the sports person who doesn't really remember being badly concussed, but took a lot of bangs to the head and, you know, thousands sure. potentially. Who's likely to have the more adverse outcome? Let's say they're both as susceptible as each other in the first place. Do we know which is worse for a sports person? We don't. Okay. Um, I can tell you um, if there's an injury and it's recognized and evaluated and treated, we know that's the most powerful thing to prevent problems from happening. There's, there's, you're going to return to normal vulnerability. It's about receiving proper treatment from the injury. Well, that was uh, that was one of the key questions. So athlete who suffers in the short term is treated well in accordance with, say, the therapies you're talking about. Yes. They're now no more vulnerable to CTE or early onset dementia in future years if it's treated well in the short term. I believe that we have to bridge that. Okay. Again, there's not really good research, you know, bridging that issue to that issue. So I guess those treatments but haven't been I, in existence long enough, is it? Correct. Yeah. We need prospective long-term, long-term longitudinal studies on that. Um, and so there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. But what I can tell you is the patients that we treat, they get better and they get normal. And it, it doesn't necessarily you know, it doesn't resonate with me that the patients that end up doing really well with treatments would all of a sudden go down this pathway in a negative way. Mm. Uh, I really do believe if this injury is managed properly, it's a treatable, concussion's a treatable injury because we see that, we've proven that through our research. We know that patients become asymptomatic. We know the therapies work. We know how to treat this injury. And I'm all about kids, kids getting back to the sports they love. Mm. If they meet my criteria for recovery, I'm 100% going to recommend these kids go back to play. And sports offer an incredible opportunity for kids competitively, socially, exercise-wise. Imagine a world without that, right? Yes, and, for and sure. So we, I'm very much in favor. Nothing about that long-term stuff has changed my treatment and getting kids back to play. Okay. Because the science hasn't evolved to the point where we fully understand that. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's moving all the time. Uh, there's probably a current generation, for instance, of rugby players looking at the generation before them in their early 40s now who are being diagnosed with early onset dementia, which is devastating on so many fronts. What conspires to result in early onset dementia for those sports people who, who do put it down to their, their sport and the bangs to the head and the well, concussion? We don't necessarily fully know if the sports are the, 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 real, the only cause of that. Um, there could be there's many causes for neurodegenerative disease, and the normal the base you know the base population has decent rates of that as well. There's a lot to learn here, and that makes people uncomfortable. Uh, and I understand that completely. Um, 
and science takes time, but I can tell you in the next two to five years, it's not only our group, but there are many other groups across the country and the United States and even here that are doing really good research. We're going to have a lot of answers in the near future or better answers. It's, it, but it's always going to be an evolution. That's what makes, yeah. you know, science takes time. And, and uh, those projects are underway. And get me back here in a couple of years, and I'll have a little more clarification on okay, it. Okay, deal. Uh, the significance of a concussive episode and then continuing on the field of play. Yeah. That's obviously a hot topic. So mm-hmm. what do we know about concussive episode and continuing to play? Yeah, well, we got some good research on that one. So if patients, we just did this study, it was published in JAMA Neurology, where we looked at a very large cohort of athletes, um, and half the sample came out of play immediately at the time they had symptoms of concussion, and half the sample um, played for 15 minutes beyond the point of having symptoms. The sample that came out immediately recovered in 19 days. The sample that continued to play for just 15 minutes recovered in 44 days. So just playing 15 minutes beyond the point of having symptoms resulted in them them missing nearly a month longer of play. Um, And that's, we've also done this sort of, it's a dose response. So for every minute you play, it increases your time of, of recovery beyond the point of so the point i'm making is is that you know when in doubt sit them out but the symptoms of concussion can be very subtle for example and a lot of people don't know this but we've done some research looking at you know let me ask you the question what symptom on field do you think best predicts worse outcome from concussion the one symptom that predicts worse outcome more than any other symptom i'd be wavering between loss of consciousness or a dizziness and a stumbling. That's great. Um, it's the latter, not the former. So if you have on-field dizziness, you're six times more likely to take longer to recover than if you lose consciousness, believe it or not. Um, fogginess or feeling one step behind, detached, disassociated is another one that predicts outcome. Migraine is the one that predicts poor outcome. And these symptoms, these are symptoms of injury, not signs of injury. So these are things that patients have to report. You don't see dizziness, right? Mm. And that's probably why it takes longer to recover because patients will often try to play through that stuff and it doesn't go well. Yeah. Um, you know, the subtle symptoms of headache, obviously, nausea, dizziness, light sensitive, noise sensitive, fatigue, mood changes, um, cars, you know, feeling sick in a car is a big symptom of this, yeah. um, cognitive issues sleep problems, all of those symptoms can be signs of concussion and you got to be aware of the subtleties of it. Because it strikes me, um, say again, picking at rugby for a moment and for instance, you know, soccer and its concussion protocol are, are virtually non-existent. I mean, we, we, we had a, an instance in the um, European Championships last year where a player was I saw it, yeah. knocked out and afterwards, I mean, he was so, un- everybody was so uneducated about it. He was talking to the journalists afterwards saying, yeah, geez, I was knocked out. How about that? But I played on. It was great. <laughs> Whereas rugby is far more aware, I think, of, of where agree, it needs to I go. That, yeah. So I guess what rugby's really grappling with in particular is the head injury assessment. So when in doubt, sit them out. Everyone in theory agrees with that and, and what strikes us as so difficult for rugby is you know, if, if you were to follow that to the letter of the law, you could lose 10 players from no a, a game like rugby. So they, the rule as it stands at the moment is, and so we put ourselves in, the, in the, um, the shoes of the clinician, is if it's a likely concussion, then no HIA, no assessment, you're just off mm-hmm. if it's a likely concussion. If it's a, pot- a potential concussion, then we have the HIA. 
And for instance, there was a player, Jeremy Lockman. Jeremy Lockman is his name. He was playing for Ireland and New Zealand. And um, I mean, even more worryingly after what you said, he was banged to the head and he was visibly dizzy. Yeah. Taken off for a HIA. Now, in fairness, everybody afterwards conceded he shouldn't have had the HIA, should have been off. But you'll follow the point. He was taken off for the HIA and he passed the HIA and was put back on. So suddenly everybody is concerned about the HIA. So the question is, and, and the real difficulty is, trying to deduce the difference between likely concussion where you have to come off and potential concussion where you've HIA. I don't know, that's not possible. I think we've made a lot of advances on that and we do have very good tests that we can utilize. Um, That example you gave with the dizziness, that obviously could indicate the vestibular system is decompensated. And we've created a physical exam called the VOMS that directly looks at that system. And you can't fake your way through that. I mean, there's things that can be done to measure that problem and look at it. So does it surprise Um, you, for instance, that that HIA was passed? Yeah, I don't know the case, so I can't weigh in on it. Fair enough. But... Um, but when you look, say there's there's tests, what what strikes me is that the doctor on the sideline has to look at a collision and decide HIA or just you're straight off. And I don't know how that can be done just visually. That's very difficult. Yeah. I mean, they have film, they have spotters, et cetera. Um, I mean, I would agree with you if there's someone that gets hit in the head and stumbles off the field, that, that's a no go for me. Um, and, you know, ataxia or balance problems are, are a definite sign that. You know, there could be other reasons that cause that too. Sure. Um, but if it's after head trauma, I, I mean, it's pretty easy to deduce it's coming from that system. So, so do you feel, say we see two players run at each other and there's a bang of heads or mm-hmm. one person gets a bang in the head and it's a HIA as opposed to, no, safety first, you're off. Right. Would you like visually watch that incident and say, yeah, I can see why that's just a HIA. What what would you need to see around an incident to, for you to think, yeah, HIA is appropriate? There? There's definite red flags of signs and symptoms that you should be pulled off. If you lose consciousness, if you posture on the field, um, if there's confusion, disorientation, patients repeating themselves, loss of memory. Um, those are all indications that head trauma has occurred. And, yeah. you know, those patients should be taken off for sure. Yeah. In patients that are reporting symptoms and there's no observable signs of injury, that falls more into that HIA category. Um, And if dizziness were to occur, for me, that would be a no-go as long as it was related to the trauma, not related to something else. Uh, But there's physical exam, that exams that can be done. There's tests on the side that can be done. We we do, we need improvement on some of those measures for sure. And, but we've been spending a lot of time um, showing new data we have, showing some ways of looking at this in a pretty sophisticated way. And this is always evolving. And, I, yeah. you know, as those tools become more widely used, you're going to see more sophisticated ways of looking at this. And Mickey, how far away are we, say, from a saliva test or some kind of biomarker to say yeah. concrete, n- not in doubt? We We're know. a long ways away from that. Are we? Yeah, I, I believe that. Uh, it is really nothing ready for prime time. And it's really not that close. Um, And there's a lot of smart people looking at this and a lot of really good work being done. uh, But there's no biomarker currently to to examine that, you Mm. know, in a reliable, valid, sensitive, specific way. Uh, Return to play breaks then. So uh, sport is also, say we've diagnosed the concussion. Um, What's an appropriate time out from the sport is a burning question and for a time for instance rugby it was like three weeks back in the the amateur days yeah 
and it had a six day return to play protocol. And people said, well, is there a commercial motivation here? A game every week, six days uh, seems to be an awful coincidence. Recently extended to 12 days. So how do we grapple with that? And, and, and like, can we measure definitively, OK, this person is definitely OK to return to the field? Yeah, there's ways of doing that. I'm more of the of the mindset that we should look at this in an individualized way. Uh, and some kids, some athletes get better quicker than others. It, but getting the right evaluation and using the right tools and really doing the right rehab. When you're normal, I put patients back to play. If you're not normal, I do not. And we actually have a pretty, really sophisticated ways of looking at that issue. Mm. And that's what our research has been focused on, is understanding what recovery means uh, and how to assess that, measure it, and treat it. And and that's our wheelhouse. Um, I understand the rugby, and I know it's 12 days now. Um, and, you know, it's something where I can understand in rural areas or something like that is indicated but if you're being assessed by a clinician that's really trained in this injury it's you know in a with the nfl we don't use a sit down rule we we look at this individually we treat it individually right and that's the way i feel i like that that process i think it works better because you're looking at an individual rather than just a arbitrary kind of how many days but the the good thing is is if it is a 12 day sit down rule a lot of patients don't go back at 12 days if they're not normal I mean evaluation still occurs in that protocol and look sitting out 12 days isn't going to hurt anyone Yeah. but I'm also of the ilk that look if kids are ready to go back to play what we don't want is patients under reporting their symptoms because they have to sit out X amount of time and that can happen intuitively yes Uh, heading a football so uh, for instance I think in the UK there's a trial um banning heading amongst under 12s so talk to us about that both for children and yeah i don't think the data is at a point where that that determination can be made scientifically um i'm not in that group where i would ban heading i think kids learning how to head is really important for the biomechanics of it and understanding how to do it appropriately is taught at a young age and if you learn that technique you're going to be less susceptible if you're doing it correctly. The only problems we see with concussion from hitting the ball is when your neck is loose or you're not in the proper form and technique. And, and you know, if you get blasted from 10 yards, of sure. course. But the point I'm making is that it's very important to, to, to learn proper technique as a, as a child because that's going to be with you the rest of your career. Mm. Um, so, And the data does not support, at this point, banning heading below the age of 12, in my opinion. And adults who maybe play professionally and hit the ball thousands of times across their career? Again, proper technique should mitigate a lot of those problems. There's some research that's showing that some of those patients end up with difficulties. The questions I would have in that research is, did they were they properly managed? Did they receive the right treatments, et cetera, et cetera? Again, if you treat this injury properly, we should be able to people should be able to head the ball effectively without having, you know, deleterious effects. Yeah, because I suppose what would strike me again uh, with heading is, uh, given that it's done thousands and thousands of times, there's no individual concussion from heading a football. So it's a, a cumulative, God, I've done it for 20 years and now I've got all these symptoms. There's, uh, again, this is a good example of the research is mixed on that topic. Right. And, and there's a lot of focus on the papers that say there are problems and not as much focus in the paper that says that aren't problems. But there's a real mixed literature on, on that topic. Right. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, of everything we've discussed, what about boxing? I mean, that, yeah, uh, boxing is one where the goal of the sport is to render you concussed, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, so um, that is a sport where the goal is to create concussion. 
and um, obviously that's what happens when you see the symptoms that you see on the in the ring. Um, we should be able to treat those patients. Um, you want to make sure there's time in between the fights to make sure that's treated fully and effectively, and it needs to be done carefully. Yeah. Um, we haven't worked as much with boxing as other sports, um, but clearly head trauma is going on there, and it's it's not good if it's they're piled up on each other without receiving the right treatments for sure. Okay, because I mean, you, you just wonder if it's viable. I don't ever think it'll be made illegal. Clearly, because you it's know, interesting, you, you, isn't you it? Would the, drive it underground, and it'd be, well, the sport know. is has become less you know popular, at least in the United States at, over time. Um, but the, the the sport, I've seen a lot of boxers at patients, and they're having the same problems we're seeing in football players and others. There's no difference in the types yes. of concussions that we see. And fortunately, the ones that come and see me receive, can receive good treatments, and we can get them better to box again. I'm, look, you know, again, these athletes that box put in a lot of work, and, and, and you know, a lot of people who's put a lot of effort into their career and stuff. Yeah. And so, if we can treat it fully and we know how to look at that, I'm okay with that happening. It's just making sure the right treatment occurs between fights. I suppose, given what you said about you know what the data says about playing on for even a 15 minute period after a certain blow to the head I mean you, you must watch a fight and someone takes a few punches early in the round and, and your instinct would be well we're done out you come and we're only getting started uh, yeah I mean you, you make a good point for sure there's no easy answer to that one I'm afraid no, it's not. yeah and yeah. um, so again just to remind people you're going to be at UCD on Saturday over 200 doctors in attendance so the plan is to educate and, and yeah it's, it's, it's cool it's you know we're gonna it's really about getting the right information to clinicians it's really uh, teaching them the, the the different profiles that we see and the different types of treatments we apply and the rehab that we apply and just getting the right information in the hands of clinicians and um it's going to be an exciting day and we've got a lot of good speakers and it should be a real real good event okay well great to have you in any other uh, broad points i mean you, you you're, you're engaging with the seriousness of this, but it's a quite an, it's a more optimistic outlook than yeah, we I, tend to hear. I really truly believe um, that the advances are real in terms of understanding this injury and assessing it. There's a lot of questions we still have to answer. A lot of smart people looking at that, but I do feel um, this is a treatable injury and we can get kids better. And I'm a big sports guy, and, and I, I don't think I'm being cavalier and, and irresponsible in putting kids back to play from this because we know they're healthy and we can look at that and, and measure it the right way. Um, you know, I think that, and I think that what's happening here in Ireland is really exciting. Uh, you know, we have very good clinicians doing the right treatments and, but this is becoming a specialist injury. You want to make sure kids that have these problems are going to a specialist that's trained the right way. Just because you have a certain degree doesn't mean you understand the advances. And, and that's why we're here is to teach that. And, that is happening in Ireland, and, and again, the UPMC Concussion Network is—it's exciting because I know that I know that kids are getting good care when they're in that network. Dr. Mickey Collins, again, the UPMC uh, seminar, Concussion in Sport, a national conversation, UCD this Saturday. Thanks so much for popping into the studio. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Good stuff.